Welcome to From There to Here with your host, Miranda Dekonski. Together, we'll explore our personal journeys and how they have impacted where we are today. We hope that you'll walk away inspired, motivated, energized, and knowing that there is no right or wrong path. Each path is uniquely our own. And now your host, Miranda. Good morning, everyone, and welcome from there to here. I'm Miranda Dekonski, your host, and I am here with the one, the only, Andrew Marks. Cue applause. Andrew actually probably needs no introduction, but because we're here, why don't we go ahead and do that? Andrew, how are you? I'm fantastic, Miranda. I'm always fantastic seeing and talking to you. I really enjoy our conversation. I do too. I always have a great time when we talk. We mess around a little bit too much sometimes when we're on the podcast or events together, but why not have fun with everything that you're doing, right? Yeah, exactly. Relationships need to be real. Exactly. I agree. I agree. Whether it's with your colleagues or with your customers, you need to create real connections with people. I agree. So for those that are tuning in to listen to Andrew and I talk about customer success, bad news bears. We're not going to talk about customer success today. We may pepper a little bit in here or there, but that's not the purpose of why we're here. We are here to learn about Andrew, about his personal journey, about how he got to where he is today. So for those that don't know you, why don't we hop in? Tell me a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? What do you do? All of that fun stuff. Oh, wow. Okay, sure. So I was born and raised in Southern California. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was an accountant, actually spent many years with IBM as a systems engineer. That's what brought him out to the West Coast from Massachusetts. And so I was born in an LA suburb, Sherman Oaks, California. Shout out to the, actually back then, I think it was still the 213. These days, it's the 818. I grew up, I spent my formidable years in the San Fernando Valley, went to a couple of different high schools down there and wasn't really a very serious student. I was the class clown. I loved to joke around a lot. And when I graduated high school, I went to community college for a few years, which I referred to as high school with carpets. (laughs) For those down in the Valley or familiar with the area, Pierce College, it's an ag college. It's an agricultural college. So it really didn't belong there to begin with. And it was during that time that I had a very short stint in stand-up comedy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Thank God there's no camera phones or internet (laughs) access back then because then people would actually see me on stage. But I did it for six months after doing an open mic night. It was a lot of fun, but then it became work. Yeah. When the thing you're doing that's fun becomes work, it's sometimes not fun anymore. (laughs) It was not fun anymore. And then I got serious, decided I wanted to get college degree. Actually, it wasn't really me that got serious. It was my dad. He said, do you need to stop your stand-up comedy, stop your joke of a schooling you're doing at community college, and we're going to go meet with somebody to help you find, at least right now, what you think your calling is. Yeah, that's really interesting. Many know that I'm the mother of a son who's going to be 21. And I feel so bad for the kids that graduated shortly before COVID or during COVID. It's tough. Those ages are very tough trying to find your path, find your place. And then it's even more so tough when the traditional things that we've created as a society are just gone for them to be able to go out and find themselves and go to college and do the college things and be away from your parents to grow. So I find that really interesting. What did you want to do when you were growing up? I didn't know. You don't know at that age, right? And even if you think you know at that age, there's a chance. I mean, there's some people that are, you know, from a young age, I'm going to be this. 
Yeah. But for a lot of people, it's like, okay, this is what I think I want to be, or this is what my parents are telling me I want to be. And the end result is something completely different. Yeah. And so I give credit to my father pushing me to question that and to make that decision. And I definitely had some help and some guidance. And this organization I went to not only helped kind of give me some focus, they also selected some schools based off of what I was looking for in the school. And what's funny is, is that while my dad had this vision and he was very successful, he was super cheap. And the one school that was in California in state was the school I ended up going to because he didn't want to pay out of state tuition fees. And I can understand that because he's dealing with a kid who has been a bit of a smart ass and cut up and not sure that he's going to be able to find his way. So purely from a financial perspective, which is, and my dad's an accountant, right? So there's always an ROI, which is something that I actually adopted and use in my work life these days, but he didn't want to make that big of an investment yet. And I totally get that. And I respect that. I ended up going to Chico State which for those that aren't aware, Chico, at the time that I went there was the considered the number one party school in the nation. So <laughs> you've, got, you've uh, got my kind of party fun, crazy personality going to Chico. And what people also don't realize is I had a very, very tight, small group of friends in high school. These are people who I still associate with today. We've known each other for 35, 40 years and we're still very close. But I was not a very outgoing individual at all. I was very shy. That really surprises me. So funny, somebody else had said that to me too, that I was interviewing, that they were very shy growing up. It just blows my mind. It was also one of the things where one of my friends said, hey, we should do stand-up comedy. I'm like, dude, I'm painfully shy. He's like, that's why you should do it. That kind of opened me up to that a little bit. And then going to a party school like Chico, and I got a great education. At the time, Chico, I think it may still be considered one of the top computer science schools, at least on the Western half of the U.S. That's when I originally went there. I was a computer nerd growing up. I built my first computer when I was like 10. It was a Timex Sinclair that I ordered out of elementary electronics and put it together and taught myself how to program on an Apple II program basic. And I was totally into technology because my dad was very much an early adopter in technology. We had a VHS and a Betamax. We had the first (laughs) video game system, the Magnavox Odyssey for people who are Uh, old enough to... We have the Odyssey here in this house. Do you really? We do. With the boxes, with the little pointer meters and oh yeah. We have some Apple IIs and stuff like that too. My husband and you have that in common. He was very much an early Apple adopter and we have the Odyssey and we have the video games we've Odyssey. That's awesome. I I have not, I I don't know anybody else that has an Odyssey. Now I do. That's great. You do. Yeah. We have done pre COVID, of course, retro game night where my husband wires it up to our big screen TV, which I have to tell you is quite the chore because (laughs) these things are not preset to be hooked up to 2020 TVs. So we have that. My brother has that along with. He, in his garage, my brother and I were huge gamers growing up, but not gamers like it is now. It was consoles. So we had the Atari, we had television, we had ColecoVision, the Jaguar, the Sony Saturn. We had the 3DO. I mean, he's got stuff in his garage. It's like an antique museum of video games. But I was a computer nerd kind of growing up and I thought, okay, well, we had talked about it with this organization. I said, okay, why don't I pursue a degree in computer science? made the most sense. I enjoyed programming. And my first semester at COBOL, and I switched my degree. I said, there's no freaking way that my personality that was starting to really blossom and I was really starting to come out of my shell. 
wanted to sit behind a computer screen for eight to 10 hours a day, even though I do that now anyways, we all do that, and program and not interact with people. And so I adjusted my major to marketing and strategic management as a minor and really jumped into business in general, but with a marketing concentration, which is funny. I mean, I use marketing to an extent, but I never got a job in marketing. My first job out of college was working for Apple. They recruited at our school and they were looking for people to join their customer assistance center. So I've been in customer facing roles. And prior to that, when I was in junior college, my job was selling Macs at a outfit that's no longer around called Priority One Electronics. Used to be in Chatsworth. They had nine stores. A corporate was in Chatsworth. They had nine stores up and down the West Coast. And I would sell computers and I was the kind of the Mac expert. So when my then girlfriend and now ex-wife came to me working in the bookstore at Chico State selling Macs to students and said, hey, you know, Apple's here. They're hiring people. You should go down and talk to them. I blew her off at first. And then she said, no, no, seriously, you need to. So I went down there and they hired me just because of how much I knew about Apple. That's crazy. It's really interesting. What a fascinating journey from stand-up comedy to kind of now stand-up comedy and customer success. I'm kidding. I get I think once again, like we said at the beginning of the program, you want to be real with people. That's how you establish connections. And that's a really important piece of the puzzle in customer success is establishing relationships. It really is. You know, one of the things that I would love to do with this podcast, I think that normalizing mistakes in our journeys and all of that kind of stuff is a big goal of mine. When you're thinking through your life's journey and where you are now, are there any mistakes that you made along the way that were really big learnings for you that stand out? Either personally, professionally, anything that really shaped a learning for you that's just been solidified in your brain? Of course. I mean, there's tons of mistakes. I've learned more from my mistakes than from my successes. I'll tell you, one of the really early mistakes I made, this is really early. And it was something that once again, my dad called out and exposed me to. When you're 16 years old, you're not thinking empathetically. You're not self-reflecting. You're not self-aware. My first job, he bought me a car. Actually, didn't really buy the car. It's my grandmother's old car. He gave me a car for my 16th. It was a 1967 Chevy Capri four-door. It was a 427 engine in it. They used them as cop cars, but he gave this to a 16-year-old. He wondered why I got speeding tickets. <laughs> and he said, you got to get a job. So I'll pay your insurance, but I'm not going to pay your freaking gas. Go get a job. And so I appeased the parental gods and I got my first job at McDonald's. And I spent a good couple hours a day for a week in the basement of this McDonald's on Ventura Boulevard in the Valley, Willow Hills, watching these videotapes, one after another, with this other dude that was going through training with me. And then they put us upstairs in front of people, just taking orders. And I was a total smartass. I was the class clown. I thought everything was a joke. And this, I don't know how to delicately put this, this weight-challenged individual walked in and ordered pretty much everything on the menu along with a Diet Coke. And I said, why don't you just go with the regular Coke at this point? And they got offended. And I thought it was hilarious. The guy who went through my training with me did the same thing. And the manager was standing there, did not like what I had done, of course, and thought it would be a good idea to put me into the drive through window where I'm even more anonymous. It was not a smart move by that manager. And somebody drove up and they said, can I have a hamburger fries and a Coke? And I just leaned over and I said, no, you can't. 
And once again, I thought this was hilarious. <laughs> and kind of the, the person drove off. Manager didn't. I was gone. It was the shortest job I ever had. 45 minutes. And oh, my was, gosh. Oh, you yeah. literally got fired in 45 minutes? Yeah. Wow. I got a pay stub because they had to pay me. <laughs> did you keep it? Do you have it? No, still? I wish I did. I did keep the uniform for years. I still had the polyester uniform way into college. I would actually dress up in it um, with some nasty mask on Halloween. It was my standard Halloween costume. What did you learn from that though? Because when we're kids, Dana Sos and I had a really good conversation and we talked about our experience as kids being bullied. Like we were bullied significantly in school and it was really bad. And just how, quite frankly, our frontal lobes are just not developed. And we think we know everything and we don't, we just don't. We haven't had the experiences to be able to actually rationally judge situations or learn how to control the shit that comes out of our mouths. So what did you learn from that experience? Well, you know, I didn't learn anything. I mean, I learned that I got to ease up on being a smart ass. And I got a pretty thorough dressing down by my father, rightly so. That was kind of the immediate learning that I got. Like, I got to take this seriously. But looking back years later, what I also realized is it's a pretty messed up thing to do to these people. If I had been more empathetic, I wouldn't have said those things. I wouldn't have done those things. And I would have taken things more seriously. And I think that was the biggest learning. And these days, I actually tell that story to folks really more as a, hey, I got fired in 45 minutes from my job. What's been your first job? As more of a joke, as a storyteller would do to, once again, get a laugh. But it taught me this lesson of it's so important to put yourself in the shoes of the person who's receiving what you are giving them. I mean, this is critical for customer success, but this is just critical for just relationships, period. Being able to be self-aware enough and have enough self-control to take a step back, even if it's just for a couple of seconds and say to yourself, how is this person going to receive what I'm about to receive and the way I'm going to give it to them? It's not just what you say, it's how you say things. And that was probably that biggest learning from that incident. Yeah. And I'm sure it took you years to be able to actually look back on that and take that out. Oh, yeah. We're talking 15 years later. I know we don't talk about it as humans, but I know I can count on both hands in probably like all my toes as well and probably borrowing hands from my husband and you and how many times I've said something that, damn it, I wish I would have never said that. I wish I would have paused for a second and really thought about just what you said right now. How is this message going to come out and how is it going to be received and how is it going to make the person feel? I think the older I've gotten, the better I get at it. I still have moments where I'm like, man, I wish I wouldn't have said it that way. So I thank you for sharing that. It's really yeah, powerful. Yeah, of course. And listen, I still, I yeah. do the same thing. The difference between now and then though, is that I quickly recognize that what I said made me sound like an asshole or it didn't come across right. And then I try and rectify that. Yeah. Also, once again, something really important when you're in customer success, especially, is apologize the situation, apologize for what I said, or apologize for the way I made somebody feel, own that, own that I created that and try to make it right and rectify and apologize. It's so important and it makes you real. It's okay to say, Hey, I screwed up and I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. What can we do to move past this? Absolutely. I completely agree. Shifting gears a little bit. I see you have a guitar hanging on your wall. I know folks can't see that, but Andrew has a guitar hanging on his wall behind him here. Do you play guitar? Not enough these days, but I've been playing guitar since I was 10. 
So let's just say over 40 years. Are you any good? No, not these days. I can warm up and I can play a few songs. I know, of course, a bunch of chords. And my parents wanted me to play an instrument. And at first it was the violin. Oh, boy. The violin. Oh, oh, yeah. I had a violin and the whole thing. It was not this guy, not a violin guy. I said, I got to do something different. We had a piano in the house and I like playing the piano a little bit, but I really was into the guitar. And we're talking, this is the late 70s. So I was totally into Zeppelin. Of course. And, and all of those classic rock bands in the dead and Pink Floyd and great guitar riffs. Of course. But I also needed something to start with. And I was a huge Beatles fan. So my guitar teacher said, pick one artist, one band and buy their music book. And we'll learn on that band because they typically will use the same chords, the same progressions or similar progressions. And it'll just be easier for you to use the instrument. And I picked the Beatles. So I could play Strawberry Fields forever. I could play Yesterday. I do it actually a half decent job picking for Blackbird and Blackbird singing to the dead of night. But I just don't get a chance to play it enough. Or you know what? That's not true. I don't make time for it. And I should. Yeah. Because it's a lot of fun playing, making music. It's almost cathartic. And when I can do it in front of others and they can enjoy what they're hearing, that makes it that much better. I think we all need to make time for things that feed our soul. It's so easy to put those types of things on the back burner for things that are right in front of us, like work or things of that such. So I really appreciate that, that I have taken piano lessons off and on for years because I've had this dream. So I grew up really poor and I've always wanted to be a piano player. Always. I taught myself how to read music. I had a little keyboard that I got at a yard sale for like a dollar and you couldn't push two keys down at once. It was one of those cheapy ones, but I could do a lot of little songs on it. I've been off and on taking piano lessons. I had a very, very scary piano teacher up until four or five years ago as an adult. She terrified me. She, she would terrified you? Terrified really? me. I would walk down to class every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And she was a woman of very few words. And people may find it funny that somebody terrified me, but she terrified me because she would say, no, Miranda, no. And then she would hit my leg sitting next to me going, Tom. <laughs> I'm like, there is something about this woman that she's not playing with me. Right. <laughs> and she's taking this seriously. She's taking it like, I'm like, listen, lady, I'm not going to be blowing out concert halls. I just want to know how to play <laughs> Twinkle Little Star. Like, <laughs> you used to have a keyboard behind you when we would talk. I have it still. I moved it. So when my son moved out, I'm an empty nester now, probably for a year and a half. When he moved out, I used to walk by his room and I would see his bed in there and all his stuff. And I would just cry. So it was so hard for me. And I was like, you know what? Screw this. I got to take control of this shit. So I emptied his room out <laughs> and I put my piano in there and I made it into a yoga room. That's good. He came home after I did it. And he's like, damn, mom, it was barely lukewarm and you already got rid of all my stuff. <laughs> I'm like, it was for my own mental stability. Hey, hey, he's making a transition and so do you. Exactly. Right? You need to make that transition as well. Exactly. Exactly. And he's out in Chico right now, too, just so you know. He's awesome. living and loving the life out in Chico. That's so, just up the road from me now. I'm even closer to Chico. Great. If there's any emergencies, you know, I'm going to be calling you and be like, yeah, hey, what's you up to, man? Do you want yeah. to take a cruise to Chico? Because it's, yeah, like it's like three it's hours like, for me. It's like 75 minutes for me. Okay. You could definitely be there quicker. Yeah, right up 65. As you're thinking through your journey and all the great things that you've accomplished and the folks that you've impacted positively. What do you want your legacy to be? 
I know it's what a deep question. What do I question. want my legacy to be? I'll tell you, I want my legacy to be basically what we've created with Success Hacker and Success Coaching. Todd and I, I've always come from this perspective of trying to help people. Even before customer success was a thing, we were doing post-sales. I was doing post-sales implementations for large enterprise software companies. I was always concerned about, is our customer going to get value from this thing that we're building for them, that we're configuring from them, that we're customizing for them? Because if they don't, then I've failed. We failed as a team. And I was a business analyst and a project manager. Part of my job was to translate what the customer felt was valuable into what we needed to do with the product. And I was passionate about that. So it's always been about providing value and and helping them get something out of it. And that fed the success that I had throughout my career from the on-prem world to the cloud world. That's why the transition from on-prem to cloud was very, very seamless for me because that's what it's all about. So I've always been somebody who's been very focused on what can I do to please? What can I do to help whenever possible? And so when Todd and I sat down to vision what we wanted to do. One of the things that was really important to us and one of the reasons why when we launched the company, we also launched our community, which is eventually, I think here's about to be merged in with GGR, the individual contributor community. We launched that right out of the gate with the business because we wanted to give back. We wanted to provide a place where people in customer success could get access to everybody else and not have to pay for it. Because there are some people out there that feel that community requires a subscription. And so I want my legacy to be, hey, Andrew was somebody who was there to help to provide support. And I've been very fortunate we've been able to build a business that not only is sustainable, but is also helping people, helping people do their jobs better, helping people get jobs in customer success. I've heard from some folks that just the training that we do just opens their eyes in general to establish better relationships with people, you know, beyond yeah. business, you know, Absolutely. in their personal lives. That's the kind of legacy. And he was a fun guy to talk to. And I enjoy being with people, talking with folks. That's a great legacy. Yeah. Love that so much. Thank I you. I was a little sharing. convoluted, but you uh, get the picture. I do. I do. And the last question that I'm going to ask you today is if you could have dinner with any two people dead or alive, who would they be and why? Make them good, Andrew. I can tell you're thinking about it here. Dead or alive. I know people get asked that question all the time. I've really not put much thought into it. I would say, wow, stumped me. I'm sorry. No, it's just a matter of narrowing things down. You can pick three if it makes it easier. (laughs) (laughs) I guess one of them would be, and it shouldn't come as that great of a shock, given my passion for music. One of them would be Jerry Garcia, Grateful Mm -hmm. Dead. His music and his writing, the writing he did with his team was inspiring. You ever been to a Grateful Dead show? I haven't, but funny story. Sebastopol, my husband and I ended up there for our anniversary. And there was this guy who has this shop there that's like literally a shrine to Jerry Garcia. Yeah, He was totally decked out in tie-dye and he was a really cool hippie guy. He wanted my husband and I to come back to his house so he could show us Jerry Garcia's refrigerator. Um, Ah, Were you a little freaked out? I was just like, what the hell? Where am I? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm cool, dude, but thank you. Well, there's just something about their music. They still tour. 
and I've gone to a number of shows. I went to about 40 shows before Jerry died. And I've been to, I don't know, a dozen or so since the group went on without Jerry, maybe a bit more than it does. Now John Mayer has taken over lead and is an amazing compliment to Bobby, who's one of the other key members of the band. But I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl in October. It was the day before the closing of their tour, of their 2021 summer tour. And I took a good friend of mine, lives a couple doors over, to his first Dead show. And we're sitting there in the middle of the second set, and the place is hot. Yeah. Everybody is up on their feet, and they're dancing. And they've been doing that the entire show. And the lights are going off, and everybody's having a great time. And there's such this amazing energy. And he looks at me, and he says, I totally get it now. There's something with the people and the music that you just can't do anything but stand up and smile and dance. And just, there was just such this amazing emanation of positivity. I'm sure it helps that everybody's smoking pot and it's like. (laughs) (laughs) There's a little pot smoking going on. But listen, I've been to plenty of concerts. I was a season ticket holder for the Mountain Winery for years. I've seen some great shows, some great acts. There is nothing, absolutely nothing like a dead show. It is unique, that energy. I will have to see if I can talk my husband into going if they come by again. I know they were just here in San Jose, I think. Not last year, it was probably 2019. What am I thinking? A couple years ago, it was pre-COVID. Do you have a second person? You know, the other guy, I'm not doing this to try and sell his books. He's just top of mind because I talk about him a lot these days. I've become a huge fan of Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. And Chris is a former FBI negotiator, hostage negotiator. And Mm -hmm. he talks about a number of the skills and techniques that you need to be good at in order to negotiate hostage standoffs. Let me know if these sound familiar to you. Empathy, active listening, open-ended questioning, trying to connect on a personal level. I mean, these are all things, of course, for me, for what we do, very top of mind. And even though the book is meant to be a book on negotiation, I look at it as a textbook for some of the things that you need to do in order to do your job better, but also to connect with people. Once again, full circle back to the beginning of our program, right? It's all about connecting with people. It's all about trying to bridge this gap that we have and get people to open up. And it's amazing what happens when you talk to somebody and they realize that you're listening to them and that you're restating the things that they're saying to you is they're going to share more and then you're going to learn more. Absolutely. I love that. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I know you're a very busy person and I appreciate you so much and everything you've shared here. And I can't wait until I get to see you again. We just saw each other like in September, which was amazing. I think it was September, right? The Saster. Yeah. Yeah. It was so awesome to get to see you again. And I can't wait until we can all be together again. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you for having me. I feel honored to be part of your podcast. And I will always have time for you, Miranda. Thank you, Andrew. Likewise. So I will end it here again. Thank you for your time and joining me today. Thanks for listening today. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of From There to Here. Check back weekly for new episodes. For more conversations about this episode and more, please feel free to follow Miranda on LinkedIn. See you soon.